education of our youth is as red hot of a topic as there is in West Virginia. Now during this pandemic, educators and institutions are being put to the test, not just K through 12, but also our colleges and universities. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Sarah Tucker. Now Sarah Tucker oversees the two and four year colleges in West Virginia. That includes the community colleges and technical schools, as well as the traditional colleges. She is the first person to hold those jobs at the same time. It also means that she gets her finger on the pulse of the issue. Add in that her husband is a high school teacher, and she's observing the challenges of COVID-19 and education from nearly every angle. I promise we do talk more than just coronavirus, though, like how she's helping get students into college for absolutely free. We also discuss how she plans to keep graduates inside the Mountain State, keeping talent and future business and community leaders inside our great state. So without further ado, let's get to it. Mace, hit the music. The uh, sun does not always shine. West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Sarah Tucker. And Sarah Tucker is the Chancellor of the West Virginia Community Technical System and the Chancellor of the Higher Education Policy Commission. So you wear multiple hats. How are you, Sarah? Good morning and welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. How was, so we can just dive into it. Your role, maybe describe, because that I maybe even stumbled through that. You, you seemingly wear a couple of different hats. Um, talk to us about the, the two differences of those two key roles and are you, you're simultaneously doing both jobs? I am simultaneously doing both jobs. So I have been the chancellor of the community and technical college system for five years now, which is hard to believe that has gone by very quickly. Um, and I am now also um, have been for the past year serving in the interim role. Um, and then this summer became um, the permanent role for the chancellor of the higher education policy commission. Um, Essentially, those two organizations um, coordinate the public colleges and universities in the state of West Virginia and to, to a looser extent um, have affiliations with the private universities in West Virginia. Um, it's, a, it's a big job. I mean, uh, <laughs> merging both of those positions, you know, each was, was its own full-time job. Uh, merging them into one um, is, is a lot of work. But I have this incredible staff who are just so talented and so good at what they do that they make um, this merger possible. So historically, the commission and council, um, while they're two separate boards, shared staff. So we had about 85 shared staff that were answering to two separate bosses. Um, so what we've really done now is said, okay, the boss has to answer to two separate boards, um, but the folks that that work for us can just answer to one boss. And so that has really worked well. Um, it doesn't always have to be that way. The commission and council can go back to having two separate chancellors if they mm -hmm. so desire. Um, but for now, they've decided to, to have just the one. So, so what does that exactly mean? I mean, you're, you coordinate with some most of the, well, the two year and four year 
mm-hmm. schools throughout the state of West Virginia. What does coordinate even mean? You know, what, <laughs> what are some of the roles that you, you, you know, kind of dictate? Right. So that changes on a daily basis. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, especially now so, of all times. Exactly. Too. Exactly. Especially now. So let me talk about the, the council for a moment. So the council has, um, for, the, for the community colleges, we have a number of grants that operate through our office that are given to us annually by the legislature um, that are around workforce development. And so we work with the colleges and business and industry to try to make sure that the colleges have the programs that they, that they need in order to support the business and industry that is around them. And then we help provide them the grant funds in order to do that. Um, we work as a direct interface between the legislature and the institutions. So two years ago, um, one of my happiest moments was the day that, that West Virginia Invest passed and, and, you know, we got free community college in the state of West Virginia. That was a huge, huge, huge deal for us. Um, so that was, you know, a lot of work on behalf of, on behalf of my office. Um, obviously the legislature did, did the bulk of the heavy lifting on that. Um, so we, we also are pretty um, aggressive about going out and getting grants. So in the last fiscal year, um, we got $9 million worth of federal and private grants to support work that was happening um, at the community colleges. Some of that is around um, apprentices in IT. I have a, a very strong belief that um, our institutions are doing their best to teach IT properly, but it's very hard to keep up with um, technology because it changes all of the time. And so one of the best ways I think to make sure that our students are prepared is to provide them with work-based experience while they're in school. And so we went after and received a $4 million grant to pay for those apprenticeship programs. Um, we also received some funding, another $4 million through a, a private organization um, to try to improve our student services at two of our institutions. Um, to try to replicate uh, a nationally um, best practice model that comes out of CUNY um, and to see if we can get, it, get our students to be as successful as the students um, are in New York. So, so we do a lot of, of work around things like that. We also um, just rewrote the, the Perkins grant, which is a $8.2 million that comes into the, the state of West Virginia annually for career and technical education. Um, so we just completely revised that plan for the first time in 15 years <laughs> and, and are busy implementing that. So there's, there's a lot of, um, of different types of work that happen um, you know, in that office. In the commission office, um, right now during coronavirus, we are having calls three times a week with the four-year presidents to try to make sure that their campuses remain yeah. on well. track and safe. Um, and we distribute all of the financial aid for the state of West Virginia through our offices. We um, operate the federal gear up grant, which is a $25 million grant to help kids in, in rural areas go to college. So we're also very busy with behavioral health right now. Mental health is a huge issue on our campuses, particularly right now during coronavirus where people are isolated and quarantined. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been sending out mental health resources to our campuses. So it's, there's just a whole lot. There's a whole wow. lot going on. <laughs> a little, little bit on your plate, I would say. Um, <laughs> but so 
I think typically, or maybe in, in my mind, like I've always thought like there's a four-year institution and then technical colleges. For some reason, it feels like just completely separate, separate entities and like they don't coordinate with each other. Maybe the fact that you're now, you know, on two sides of it brings some synergies about and maybe we can have more collaboration efforts. So the overall net gain is just better, you know, post high school grad or education for students. It, has that kind of come about with being, you think, on both sides? Yeah, we're, we're absolutely getting there um, and we're building those pathways all the time. We're also building them with K-12. So you're right. Uh, in West Virginia, for whatever reason, K-12 has had its silo, community colleges have had their silo, and the four-year institutions have had their silos. And I don't think that makes any sense. Right. So we need to break those silos down and, and we're doing it. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's happening and it's happening pretty fast, actually. And it sounds like a lot of what you do, too, is encourage people to get to that post-secondary education and by helping them out monetarily. I mean, it sounds yeah. like a lot of what you guys do is, Hey, we're, we're, we'll try and get you as much money as possible, but we want you to get to school and get you an education and get an, everybody an education. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think particularly in West Virginia, we have, our legislature has been incredibly gracious with the amount of state aid that they have provided for higher education. I mean, really, really tremendous amount of, of aid. And for whatever reason, people don't seem to understand that. And so I don't think that students understand um, just what a world-class education they can get in West Virginia for a fraction of the cost right. that it would be in any other state. And also, we had a guest on here, Dave Lavender. It seems like he kind of his work gets intertwined in all of our guests. But he he works with the development office on apprenticeships, and it's an important concept. You know, maybe we we've gone away from that to a degree, and now we're like coming back with it because I think a lot of kids maybe go throughout high school, maybe even specifically in West Virginia, and they're like, you know what, a big four year institution maybe is not for me. Right. But but they're like remarkable, like w with their hands. They want like that physical application with the apprenticeships. Have you seen now a shift of like at least some of the major universities, but also an increased like pathway for people to get like a two year certification and something and stay in the state. Right. We don't want those people to feel like they can't just get go to high school and then just do, you know not have anything for. Them. Yeah. So our enrollment in the community colleges, particularly since West Virginia Invest has grown. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I will say that the, one of the biggest areas that I have been trying to concentrate on um, recently is our college going rate. So only 52% of recent high school graduates go to college. Mm. Um, that includes students going to college out of state in West mm. Virginia. 9% go to a community college. 9%. Wow. That is not enough. That's mm. not enough. So, you know, we have... 48% of our students who we don't know what they're doing. <laughs> we right. don't know what happens to them after, after high school. And, and we really need to target that 48% and do exactly what you're talking about, Cooper, get them into programs um, that are, are more akin to what they want to do with their lives um, and get them out into the workforce. We have a terrific program at the community colleges um, that really targets sort of the working adult. It's called the Learn and Earn program. Okay. And so that is um, a wage match between the state of West Virginia and business and industry. So let's say I'm a company, um, Correja, for example, and I you know, know that I need employees. 
So I'm going to partner with my local community college. I'm going to pick the programs that um, match what my company needs. And then I'm going to have these students come and work for me and the state will pay 50% of their wages as long as they're in the community college program and working. Um, and so what that allows our, our students to do, because the average age of a community college student is 29, what that allows our students to do is pay their bills right. <laughs> because they, you know, they're adults in the, in the workforce, um, pay their bills while they go to school. What I would really like to see is for that model to be expanded. Um, it's been tremendous and wonderful for our community college students, but I think it can also be tremendous and wonderful for our baccalaureate students. Um, so I'd like to see, and it's also hard to talk to a company about, um, you know, yes, I understand that you have all of these needs. I can only help you with learn and earn for the students who have an associate's degree or less, right? So it would be terrific to see that program get expanded um, across the state because it, it just provides tremendous opportunities for our students. I know one of the programs that you've really been working on and you've already mentioned it a couple of times, West Virginia, West Virginia Invest. Tell us a little bit about that because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, getting people to school and doing so, like you said, for free in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that is our um, newly minted last dollar in program. Um, this is our second year of implementation of that grant. And I understand that our numbers have gone up again. I haven't seen them recently, but um, so that is a, a terrific program um, that passed, I will say unanimously <laughs> um, through the Senate, which is, is really impressive. Um, but that is a, a grant program. It's, it's modeled after Tennessee's. Um, Tennessee has a, their West Virginia Invest is called the Promise. So I know that's confusing because we have our own promise, but, but it's modeled after Tennessee's Promise. And so um, what that does is students um, are required to fill out their FAFSA. And they, you know, you see how much federal aid they're getting, you see how much state aid they would get, and then whatever isn't covered um, by those other forms of aid gets covered under West Virginia Invest. So it's actually a pretty low cost scholarship pro or grant program because um, you're, you're maximizing all of these other resources that students could get. What's really interesting about it is, and they found this in Tennessee and we're finding this here in West Virginia, there are a lot of students who are applying for West Virginia Invest who were never in college before who don't need it because they get far more money in federal aid than our tuition and fees in the state of West Virginia. Wow. And so there are all of these students who are now coming to college who otherwise wouldn't have, who also aren't having to take this money because they're getting their tuition and fees covered um, mm. through federal aid. So it, again, it's as much of a, of a marketing campaign as anything, just telling, making right. people understand that there's this money out there. They just have to apply for it. You know, how to find it. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked by that. You know, I was, I went to school. I had like the promise scholarship, but then even while I was in school, like I started exploring uh, scholarships and applied and got a couple in like halfway through school. And like, I think like, you're right. There, it's a lot of it's just like, Hey, there's money out there. You just got to like, you know, write an essay to call someone, do, do some type of effort to get it. And a lot of the times you can. Yep. And you know, to some extent that's our fault in higher ed, we make things a little bit more complicated sometimes than they need to be. Um, and so people shouldn't have to, to seek for all of these different sources, but, but we're, we're getting better at that. We're trying to get better at that. 
Yeah. Um, well, b before you were balancing the, the state's uh, higher education systems, are you from West Virginia? Is it, were you from Wheeling? I am. I'm from Wheeling, West Virginia. Yeah, born and raised. <laughs> are you uh, Park, Central, Lindsley? Lindsley. 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 There you yeah, go. Yeah, I, uh, I was one of the, the first classes of um, females being at Lindsley. Or I think I started, I think I started Lindsley in middle school the second year that, that girls were allowed in the school. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Very <laughs> nice. Yeah. We had Natalie Tennant on earlier. You know, of course, she was the first Mountaineer, but it sounds like we've had some pretty, and you included in this, we've had some pretty powerful women on this on this podcast as well. I mean, you went from one of the early classes of Lindsley. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> at the time that was like pretty, you know, remarkable. It was like, okay, things are changing at times, or times are changing. And then obviously you've taken your education and, and you left the state, but you came back. I did. I, I left the state found and determined never to come back. Um, I left the state saying, you know, oh my gosh, I've got to go someplace bigger, 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 bigger. And I did. I went lots of bigger places. Um, and then I came back because I loved it here and I fell in love and I got married and I had a kid and now I'm doing these jobs. <laughs> but it is funny. I mean, you went from Michigan and then you studied at Harvard as well, right? I did. Yep. Yep. I, I left, um, left West Virginia, moved to Pittsburgh for a while, moved to London for a while, bounced to, <laughs> to, to Boston, um, and then was in Ann Arbor, um, and then came back here. Wow. Yeah. That's, that, yep. that's amazing. Um, well, so you, you know, you've had a chance then to experience, um, all, all of the factors that you're now like as your job, right? Like you were a West Virginia student, engaged with the college system and now have come back and led it. Um, what do you see, what, what's the future of higher education in West Virginia given COVID changes? Are these gonna be temporary changes? Do you see like what you guys are implementing, like it's revealing maybe weak points that maybe are now gonna be like patched up and stronger for the future um, because of what we're experiencing right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I'll tell you that when you're in the eye of a storm, it's a little hard to take a step back and, right. and analyze things as thoughtfully as I'd like to be able to. Um, I right. think certainly there are going to be permanent changes. Mm -hmm. um, I think it has become clear, um, and, and we had been talking about it before, but I think this virus has, has brought it to even greater attention that, um, you know, that the, the the number of bricks and mortar buildings that we have perhaps mm -hmm. isn't necessary. I will also say that what this has brought cr crystal clear is that in classroom learning is important um, and that students want to be connected face to face and they want to see their professors. It probably won't look the same um, as it has always looked. You know, it probably won't be three times a week or two times a week. Um, but but that some component of being together and being in person um, is important for our students. And that connection on our campus of being able to see your fellow students on campus, right. is, it, it's important to them. Um, just, it, it's just an important sort of mental piece, if nothing right. else for them. But things are gonna be different. I think we're gonna have a lot more classes that are online. Um, I think we're going to have uh, smaller lectures. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot more individualized student learning. I think we're also gonna learn how to share some positions um, that need to be shared across the institutions and to create some efficiencies across our institutions. So, so all of those things 
um, I think will happen. I, but I also, I think our students are changing and the way that they think about education is changing. Um, and, and that's important and we're gonna have to keep following their trends. I mean, I just even today read an article about how the workplace was changing and how right. um, employers want their employees to come back into the office and employees are pushing back and saying, um, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is working. Why are we, why would we change it? So I think all of those things are, are going to change and we're going to have to, to pay attention to them. Hey guys, Cooper here. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Dr. Sarah Tucker, but I wanted to remind you really quick, if you could leave us a rating, give us a review, if you're enjoying it, we would sincerely appreciate that. It really helps more West Virginians see the podcast. With that, let's jump back right into the interview. Is there any fear that maybe this is going to hurt uh, you know, future generations of, of the number of students that come to college. I mean, maybe that, you know, yeah. people aren't going to want to go to, you know, in-person instruction and maybe it turns them off from college altogether because they don't want to study online for four years or two, yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of fears about that. I, I have a lot of fears about what this is doing to future generations, period, um, for, for lots and lots of reasons. But um, I have, I know that there are students who went to school and, you know, at the end of last spring, for example, who were going to school and they were face to face and then all of a sudden we had to go online who had a bad experience. Um, you know, our faculty members did everything they could to change on a dime and get these classes online. Right. But let's be honest, what they had to do was put their syllabus online. It wasn't a true online course and that's not, that's not a fault of the faculty at all. What right. they did was tremendous. It's just the nature of the beast at that moment. And there were a lot of students who didn't have access to the internet, didn't have access to computers, or simply just didn't do well in an online environment. And those students, you know, we may not be capturing them in the fall. They may not be coming back and they may be talking to people um, in their rural communities about how awful learning online was. And, and that's a fear that we have that, that that's happening across the state. We're trying very hard to combat that fear by, um, you know, the governor has his new Kids Connect program out by trying to put as many hotspots as we can everywhere that we can. Um, our colleges have been distributing um, computers and hotspots to students who need them if they're able to. You know, we're trying to do things to make, to make it easier for our students, but it's not a perfect solution. And so I have a lot of concerns about that. I, I, I mentioned earlier that I have a lot of concerns about um, mental health right now. Um, mm -hmm. This is an isolating time. And if you are, you know, if you have um, you know, a level of depression and, and you're forced to be in your room and you're not allowed to see your friends and, you know, all of your work is online and you don't have to interact with anybody, that's not good for your mental health. It, it's not. And so, you know, we know nationally and in West Virginia, we're seeing um, statistics trend in a way around suicide that we don't want to see. We're seeing um, suicide call numbers rise precipitously. And, and you know, I, I, I'm very nervous about what that's doing to our students. Very nervous. Yeah. Yeah, we, we actually we actually had a guest. His name was Dennis Gillen, who uh, went to West Virginia University, was a mental health expert, um, talking about that very subject. Um, it's 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 challenging times certainly i mean it's um and it's on no one can say like what's the blueprint for this right i mean like we've, no one's ever experienced a world pandemic in the 21st century 
Um, my fear with West Virginia and always like it's uh, like, especially with a business world and a college world that goes remote is everyone says like, we don't have like, like you've kind of highlighted as well, broadband access and high speed internet. Right. I mean, what is it that we need? Is it a, obviously it's a coordination between government and business always, right. To make things actually happen. But is it just a, we just need a straight up investment by the internet providing companies to put physical like infrastructure in place in the mountain state. And I'm, literally the mountains maybe make that difficult. Is, is I mean, is it simple as that? Nothing about broadband. I've, I've delved into this just enough to know that I don't want to get too involved in the broadband <laughs> discussion, <laughs> but nothing about broadband seems to be easy in the state of West Virginia. Um, part yeah. of it is our mountains. Um, part of it is the ruralness of our state. Um, there does appear to be um, the possibility of dramatic broadband expansion in our state. And, and I really hope that that um, proves to be successful, but it, it will take years for that to happen. Right. I mean, it, right. It's, it's, it's not a quick build out. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to have to figure out ways until that access becomes available to, to have better access for our students than what they currently have. But I'll tell you, as I sit here, in my home on the east end, a couple blocks away from the capital, my internet goes out all the time. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so even in downtown Charleston, um, we just don't have the the best internet access. We don't we don't have what we need in the state. That's our biggest fear with the remote podcasting. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> the internet falls out? Yeah. <laughs> now you know, and I'll say this, uh, you know, about everything that has come out over the last few months, but that the. Governor Justice's West Virginia Connect program, I think, is was a, a major step in the right direction to set up hotspots all across the state of West Virginia. And really, it didn't even dawn on me until you had mentioned it, you know, when that was first announced. And now that they're implementing it throughout the state, to me, it was like, okay, elementary, middle school, and high school kids. But a lot of college kids are using that as well. To me, that it didn't even yep. click. But that is for, I mean, hundreds Perfect. of hotspots all across the state that everybody is, you know, eligible to use, obviously. Exactly. And, and more, so it's, it's been interesting because lots of locations that, that weren't immediately identified are now stepping up and saying, hey, we'd like to be a spot too. So um, they're trying to figure out ways to, you know, once we get that core group completely taken care of, how can we expand and where can we expand so that, that our students have better access? Still yeah. plenty of problems. I, hey, we've heard, you know, a couple buddies in, in Clay County, they still, still having problems, you know, they're, <laughs> you know, not everybody has iPads and, and you yep. know, tablets and, and laptops to use to connect. So this is still a very challenging problem going forward for everybody, especially post-secondary as well. So what I was going to add on to that, um, Dr. Tucker, is that, you know, especially like with remote, like I was saying with remote work, if we want to attract people like not like after college, like they go through college, but to stay here and say, you could like me, I'm a financial advisor. I could run my practice off an iPad and for low cost of living, I'd love to live in like a cool small town in West Virginia, like, you know, maybe even like outside of Fayetteville on a cool area. But could I do that? Like, because do I have the IT infrastructure in place? So it's kind of like everything kind of, like the college, can we do it for college kids? But can we also facilitate that for our business community um, as well? So it's going to be, there's no easy answer, right? I mean, if it was simple as just set up a bunch of towers, we maybe could have pulled it off by now, but. 
it, it is not it, it's not simple but but people are making progress toward it and um and that's something that we talk about with the department of commerce a lot actually with small businesses needing connectivity and where mm -hmm. can they get connectivity and how can we help support them so that they can get connectivity so let's kind of change gears here now because i know that you serve two roles as uh you know coordinating with the community and technical colleges and the more traditional four-year colleges but your husband is a public school teacher at Riverside High School. And so you kind of see everything, right? You, I do. You what are some <laughs> of the challenges? And not to turn the focus to, strictly to him, but, you know, what are the things that he says that are some of the problems at the, you know, the elementary, middle school, and high school levels? We talked a little bit off camera saying he, he said he's not an IT teacher, you know. He's a <laughs> right. teacher first and foremost. Right. So, I mean, I think going back to this conversation about broadband, there are all sorts of, of issues with teaching remotely and being the teacher on the teaching side of teaching remotely. Um, you know, the student doesn't have access to the internet or the student has access to the internet, but it's too slow to download documents or you're taking, you know, a quiz or an exam and your internet goes out in the middle of it and you lose all of your, you know, all right. the student loses all of their work. Um, you have Zoom meetings scheduled for your students to attend, but the family has, you know, one or two devices for three or four kids and all, ki all of those kids have Zoom meetings scheduled at the same time. And so, you know, your attendance is low in your class. There are all sorts of things that teachers are experiencing right now um, in trying to go to this, to this virtual and digital format. And I, I watch what he does in the evenings. He works so hard to try to make mm -hmm. sure um, that his students have access to to learning, but I mean the truth is we're not we're not set up certainly in K twelve to to have virtual learning, and that's why we want so badly for everybody to be back in school, but to be back in school safely. And unfortunately, in Kanawha County, we're not there right now. Um, but it it is a real challenge, and and you know he's finding fun ways to communicate um, lesson plans over a Zoom meeting is, right. is challenging. I, I have an employee um, whose son actually, um, his teacher was one of the kids to be super involved in, in the first day of school. And so she was trying to get them to do fun things. And that meant screaming the alphabet as loudly as you could as many times in one <laughs> minute and taking a ball and bouncing it inside. And she was on another Zoom meeting and she said, my house sounded like it was going to fall down. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, all, we're, all, we're all trying to get through this together, but it, it is challenging and, and you have to acknowledge that and, and try to laugh at it when you can and, and move on. Well, even, even the strain, I mean, you know, on parents, right? Because now it's like you have some parents, if you've got three kids and if they're all in you know, K-12 and you're, you're trying to remote work as well. And now you're like kind of babysitting over your shoulder doing, you know, I work with a lot of clients and, you know, we're trying to run a meeting and they're like having to like wrestle their kids during the whole meeting. Like that's another challenge. Um, if, if I was, a, I'm not a parent, if I was a parent and I had a hypothetical kid, what would be some of the things that you would say talking to your teenager about? Is there even just for education, I mean, is it, it's, I think parents are going to play an important new role now, even more so than they obviously already are. But is there a possibility of like more direct communication with them from institutions like, hey, parents, like, here are some guidelines or some tips or some, you know, best practices? 
So we have been conducting a, a, a lot of virtual um, uh, getting to understand college days, for lack of a better term. So we've held um, a series of virtual college admission days at individual colleges throughout the state, mm -hmm. a series of virtual, here's how you fill out your FAFSA days, um, right. a series of virtual, let's learn about financial aid and financial literacy days. I mean, all sorts of things like that. Um, are available and our office has, has been promoting those things. Um, but it, it is challenging and, and actually, Cooper, your point about getting some direct information out to parents is a very good idea. And I'm going to oh, take great. that back and we're going to do that. If it goes well, put me on there. If it doesn't, <laughs> I will because, because there is a lot of direct outreach that, that we're doing, but there's a lot more that we could be doing and, and trying to figure out how to target those populations. As far as being a parent home right now with your students, I mean, I think everyone's trying to do the best that they can, um, right. but this is really challenging and it is challenging to have, you know, multiple, it's challenging to have one kid in your household, but it's challenging to have multiple kids right. in your household, trying to make sure that they're logging on to their Zoom meetings at the right time, um, trying to make sure that the technology is working while you're also trying to log into your own Zoom meetings and make sure <laughs> that your technology <laughs> is working. I mean, it's yeah. everyone's balancing, balancing a lot and trying to figure out how how to make all of this work. Um, and they're doing, a, they're doing a, a really good job of it. Um, but I would talk with my students. I, I mean, I talk to my, I talk to my own son who is two and a half about going to college um, and <laughs> talk to him about, you know, fun things about what college does to the extent mm -hmm. that a two and a half year old can understand anything about the concept <laughs> of college. Right. But I, I think the, the earlier you start talking to, to kids about why doing something after high school is important about what mm -hmm. careers are open out there about what the world looks like and what life could look like for them, the better off they're going to be and, and the more um, interested they're going to be in, in learning and getting an education. Right now, my son is vacillating between a career as an astronaut and a career as a garbage man. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> they, but they have to know all the career choices they're open to them. Oh, and to make college not a fearful thing, right? It's a, it's important that, you know, your son's two and a half years old, but to develop a healthy, positive relationship with education and not seen as like the enemy where it's like, I got to go to it. It's like jail to a lot of kids, like, you know, right. but it's not like you can be excited about it. You can be happy. You can go through public education and then go to a public university and come out with a wonderful degree and whatever you want to do. And that's possible in West Virginia. And hopefully if you stay here and come back, um, you know, that's even better, right? So that's, yep. that's kind of like what we're trying to promote with this podcast is to shine the light on the stuff that is happening, the positive stuff that are happening, because I mean, you're a lifelong West Virginian, um, you know, it's all the, the jokes about West Virginia and, you know, this, that, and the other. And a lot of it's true. I mean, a lot of the national rankings are true, but there is good stuff going on. And we have to keep, you know, I think shining light on that, um, even internally of West Virginians to not let that kind of like wear on us as a culture and as a people. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that that's the point of your podcast because I love it here. And I think that the people yeah. here are terrific. And I think that the people that I work with and that I get to spend time with on a daily basis are some of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, this place is a beautiful, beautiful state. And we have a lot going on that is, is really tremendous. And, 
and our students want to stay here. I mean, people want to stay in this state, and we just have to provide them the opportunities to do that. And it's my hope um, in higher ed that as we think about our programming and think about, um, you know, think about what we're trying to do as a higher education system, that we're either training students for the jobs that are available in the state of West Virginia, or we're, we're helping them um, open their minds so that they can can figure out what the jobs of the future are and create them here or how to bring jobs here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, higher ed has a lot of responsibility in, in the health and, and well-being of the state of West Virginia. And I, I'm very proud of our institutions and the work that they do um, and will continue to do. Well, if you need a uh, public speaker, I think I've found you one, Dr. Tucker. <laughs> I think Cooper, Cooper might no, be please. able to fill that role here. So, uh, <laughs> Great. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, speaking and, and public speaking, you were on Capitol Hill. You testified in front of Congress one time, right? Back in 2017. Tell me, tell us a little bit about that. What do you remember from that? Because I'm I sure did. That, that was uh, about as, you know, Brett, you know just, uh, you know, get the, the blood pumping a little bit when you step in front of those guys. So this is, I think this is a great story. And I don't actually think it's one that I've told before, but um, I was so honored to be given that opportunity. I mean, really, it, it, I mean, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, and, and I was so excited to be able to do it. And I was also um, two and a half months pregnant and <laughs> terribly, terribly morning sick. So, so a combination of utter nerves going into this and trying to, um, trying to uh, make sure that I didn't embarrass my state um, and trying to make sure I didn't embarrass the senators, both of whom sat on that committee um, and being completely intimidated. I mean, there's a box that they put in front of you and there's a light and a timer and you have a very specific amount of time and you cannot go over and then they can ask you any questions that they wanted. And so I, I was I was pretty nervous and then I was also sick. And so <laughs> trying to navigate those two things was um, was fascinating. Um, but but I did it and and I and I was very grateful for the opportunity. It it, it really was tremendous and it, it provi provided me the opportunity to talk about some things that were happening in West Virginia's community colleges that could be models for what should happen across across the country. And one of the things that I talked about was that learn and earn program that I mentioned earlier. Um, it's just a tremendous program. And I don't, I don't know of other states that are doing it. And I frankly don't know why not. I mean, it's a great idea. Companies love it. Our students benefit from it. Mm -hmm. um, it's something we should be doing. Yeah, it's got to be. That's, I mean, I can't help. I haven't, I don't know if I've had a moment like that testified before Congress. We, we did have Senator Manchin on the podcast. And for us, that was like, oh my gosh, we're, <laughs> that was almost we're, like testifying. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> like, quite, <laughs> we're FaceTiming with a congressman, but in those moments, do you, do you look like, I can't help but think it's one, it feels surreal, but then two, like you look back and like, I'm, I'm a girl from Wheeling, West Virginia. And like, here mm -hmm. I am like testifying before Congress. Was there any moment and feeling of that? Like when you were walking in or was it just kind of, Oh, no, there was, no, there was definitely that feeling. There was also the feeling of I'm a fraud and one of these people is going to figure that out when I'm testifying. Like, I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Surely one of them will, will, will catch on. So, yeah, I mean, all of that self-doubt happens. Um, I think that's just natural if you're a, a you know, <laughs> I, I just think that that's what happens. Um, so, yes, there was a lot of that. I was very, very anxious. 
Um, if I recall, there was a snowstorm. And so the <laughs> wow. day before DC had been shut down, I had driven to DC. Um, it, it was, it was just a crazy, it was a crazy, crazy experience, but it, it was so fun and it was so interesting. And, um, to really get to see how that process works is nothing that I had ever been, um, I had ever been exposed to before. I, I just did, I didn't know anything about it. I also didn't know that committee members just walked in and out of the committee room or that um, <laughs> committee members would had staff, they all have staff that sit in there and that their staff would wait until they knew, you know, whatever speaker the committee member was interested in. And then they would text the committee member and then the committee member would come in right before you spoke. I mean, it was just the whole wow, thing. Man. I just had never seen anything like it before. Um, and it, it really was, it was a great honor to be able to do that and to be able to speak on behalf of the state of West Virginia, um, because I was the only person that got to talk about community colleges that day. That, that was my job. And, and um, it, it, to be able to be the person that talks about that for the country <laughs> is a pretty, a pretty cool, um, pretty cool responsibility to be given, an opportunity to be given. Yeah. Well, you represent, represent the state very well. And Dr. Trevor, we thank you for coming on today. You're the Chancellor of the West Virginia Community and Technical College and the Chancellor of the Higher Education Policy Commission. And uh, you represent the state very well. And it was an honor to have you on here today. So thank you for what you're doing. Good luck to you. It is crazy right now. but uh, <laughs> We know that uh, everything's going to work out here. So thanks again for taking some time this morning. Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure. Okay, everybody, and that is our conversation with Dr. Sarah Tucker. Thank you, Dr. Tucker, for taking some time to join the Mountaineer Media Podcasts, another interview that Cooper and I really enjoyed. Hey, and everybody out there that's still listening right now, education and COVID-19 was a topic that a lot of people reached out to us to talk about and find somebody to talk to about. So please keep those ideas coming our way. They are really helping us out and really giving us a sense of what people want to listen to and what people want to hear. So by all means, if you have a topic or a guest that you uh, would like to hear us speak to, by all means, make sure to drop us a, a DM, a, a comment, a message anywhere on any of the social platforms. With that, again, thanks for listening. We'll have new content out for the rest of the week and a new episode out next Thursday. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast.